Good morning. It is good to see you all here this morning. Thank you. Let us worship in song together this morning. We'll start with number 310, Come Thou Found. Good morning. Welcome here and a blessed Sunday morning to each one of you here at Winkleberg Teller Mennonite Church as well as each one that will be listening or watching this service. For our opening scripture reading, join me, if you will, to read Hebrews 12, the first three verses, Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and lets us run with perseverance, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Please join me as we pray. Dear loving God, we Thank you that we can come to you as a loving and forgiving God. 
each of us, each one of us has experienced different circumstances with reasons to be thankful and with areas of concern. We ask that you shed your blessings on each one of us as we worship you in song as Mark Elias and Marilyn Penner lead us. Also as we listen to the children's story from Eileen Engbrecht and also the scripture reading by Esther Ann Clausen. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark and Marilyn, if you will lead us again. The next song this morning is number 325, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And when I read even the first phrase of this, which is the title, Our God is a Mighty Fortress, one whom we need not doubt, who is the provider. Um, If you can, please join with me to, uh, to stand to sing. And we'll loosen up.
Next song is number 578, I Need Thee Every Hour. Yes. Are there other kids that would want to come to the front? Welcome, Diane. Good. Okay, then I will tell you the story with pictures. Now, this is a story of the little red hen. And it happened in the days when uh, the great Canadian prairies were not very settled yet. They were just, uh, homesteaders were coming And there wasn't much soil that was tilled up yet or plowed. And uh, so a homesteader, he would work very hard 
to get his house built, his, his barn, and set up his yard for his animals. And uh, in those days, uh, there was still lots of tall grass that covered all the prairies. And in fall and in spring, that tall grass would be very brown and very dry. And so, to protect his yard, there, and in fall and spring, it would be very dry, and fires would sweep through the prairies. And so, to protect his farm, the uh, homesteader would plow a circle around his farmyard with his horse, team of horses, and his plow. And then a few yards further out, he would he would plow another circle. And then he would burn the grass in the middle of those two circles, and this would be like a fire guard, so that when those big prairie uh, fires came, it would uh, help to protect his yard. Well, one morning, that farmer woke up, and he thought he smelled uh, smoke. And sure enough, that smoke was so thick, it made the sun look big and red. And uh, it, the fire was still quite, quite a distance off, but that farmer knew how quickly it can move. So he got, harnessed up his horses, and he started getting water from the pond, filled all the barrels he had uh, with water so that he would be ready, because he knew how this would go. And so the next morning came, and with that next morning also came the fire. It had looked slow when it was far up on, farther away, but now it looked like it was just racing toward him. And he kept an eye out, because as that fire grew, and with those big flames, uh, the draft caused, the draft would cause uh, sparks to fly up, and little bits of burning grass would be blown by the wind and might land anywhere on his property. And he, want, he was ready. He needed to go then and find those spots. And with a pail of water in one hand and a very wet uh, sack in the other hand, he would go around and look for those fires and put them out. And it was very hard work. But he felt that God was with him, helping him and giving him strength to beat out or, or douse those little fires as they came. Well, sometimes it seemed like the fire was too big and too strong. But uh, God was with him and gave him strength and helped him to pour that water in just the right spot. Well, on that farm was another someone who was watching, who noticed the danger of that fire, and it was this little red mama hen. And when she realized the danger of those flames, she called to her chicks and said, come on, come on, come here to me. And she tucked those chicks under her wings to protect them. Under her wings was a place of safety. And so they all came, and they rushed to her. But there was one little guy. 
he just would not listen to his mama. And instead of running to her, he ran farther and farther away from her. Well, you know what might have happened to that little guy? Very sadly, he was soon surrounded by flames, and he died. He perished in that fire. Well, that fire did pass over, and the farmer now could go around his property and be sure that all the sparks were out, that there would be no place uh, that he had missed. He went and put out any other little patches of spark, and uh, there, there in the distance was this mound, some kind of a a mound, and it was smoking still, and so he needed to go check that out. Well, he just uh, got himself over there. I'm sure he put these fires out first. But he went over to see what that mound was. And when he came to it, he thought, well, maybe that was just a, a burnt hat or maybe a, a coat that had burned that, that he had left in the field at some point. And so he was going to get with his foot, he was just going to lift it up and turn it over. And what do you think he saw there? He was startled to find that whole brood of little chicks went scurrying from underneath that hen when he lifted it up. It was the hen. It was that little red mama hen. And she had given, willingly, given her life to that fire so that her chicks could be saved. Well, that farmer, he took off his hat And he was thinking of another one that willingly gave his life. He remembered the day when he first found shelter under the wings, protection of God's wings of abundant grace. And he looked at that little hen, and he could think, here is the Savior and the saved. Who was he thinking about? He was thinking of Jesus and how Jesus died on the cross in his place for his sins, suffering the penalty of death that is everybody's because of our sin. He thought of Jesus and how he died so that everyone who believes in him could have life, everlasting life. And then he also thought of Jesus' words. In the Bible, in Luke 13, verse 34, Jesus says, he's looking over the city of Jerusalem, and he goes, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Well, these words had a new and fuller meaning for that farmer now. He could see more clearly how the fires of hell had spent their fury on Jesus, that Jesus bore the sins of the world so that everyone who believes in him 
could escape those fires by sheltering under the shadow of the cross. And so as the father was thinking about what Jesus did, he praised God. And then he went and found a box, two boxes, one to bury that little red mama hen and one to put her chicks into. And just like that mama hen, Jesus calls and invites everybody to come to him, to believe in him, so that he can save them from the death that we have because of sin. And John 3.16, you know that one by heart, don't you? Let's say it together. Please join us as you, as you will. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Yes. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, anybody, uh, I invite you to do that today. Invite him into your life. Uh, He wants to not only save you for eternal life later, but for life right now, to strengthen us, to give us joy and peace and comfort us and teach us. And so, uh, if you don't, if you have questions about that, I'm sure Pastor Dean and certainly Pastor Victor and I would be happy to talk to you. Would you pray with me, please? Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross. You willingly gave your life so that we can be saved, just like those little chicks were saved. Thank you that you rose from the dead. And give us the great hope of eternal life with you. Thank you that you call and invite everyone to believe in you, to come to you and find protection under your wings of grace and mercy and forgiveness. Amen. Thank you, Eileen. Let's take a brief look at life in the church uh, from our bulletin. Um, now, after the uh, service at uh, 10.45, there will be both uh, a men's Sunday school uh, service as well as a ladies' Sunday school and a special Sunday school. So you're welcome to that. This Tuesday, there will be a women's prayer meeting at 9.30 in the morning and the church council meeting at 7 in the evening. And you're also all welcome to come and join in the 2 o'clock Wednesday afternoon Bible study on Revelations. Our missionaries of the week are K and K. And just a note of in life in the church, while well, we've had that special meeting on March 7th relating to the leading with a vision, uh, dealing with the future of the church, and opportunity was given for discussion and questions. And whether you were in attendance or not, you may have additional questions or comments which you might want to share. And you can do that. There's a box in the foyer where you can submit your questions and your comments. Um, Next Sunday is going to be a motion uh, to put forward the motion relating to a vote for uh, 
sponsoring um, Safari Muanusi and his family. And take a note of the people that have passed away from relating to family members and friends in the area. Um, I would ask that you join me as we as we pray. Dear loving, forgiving, almighty God, again we praise you for who you are, our Redeemer and our friend. Open our hearts to what you have to say to us through your messenger, Victor Engbrecht. Open our hearts to to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture reading this morning is found in the book of John, chapter 12, verses 27 through 36. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, the angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted from this earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard that the law, that the Christ, remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk that you may have light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. May God bless the reading of his holy word to your heart. So, a couple of weeks ago, we took a look at Jesus' purpose for coming to earth and living among us and dying by crucifixion and then rising from the dead. And our purpose was to understand his reasons for coming and how they ultimately were fulfilled through his death and resurrection. There was a time in his ministry, as we find recorded in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, when Jesus deliberately set his face to go to Jerusalem. And we discovered that it was to fulfill all that the prophets had spoken of him. 
and it was to accomplish the purpose for which he'd come. Another thing we learned is that there are actually several statements of purpose for Jesus coming to earth and living with us, and most of them he stated himself. And just uh, as a quick reminder, uh, the ones we looked at uh, a couple weeks ago were the following. He came to save his people from their sins, from Matthew one twenty one. He came to give his people eternal life, John 3.16. He came to bear witness to the truth, John 18.37. He came to prepare for judgment, uh, uh, John 9.39. And he uh, came to bring glory to the Father. And we took that from a number of passages. And the one thing that I didn't point out a few weeks ago is one of his declarations of of purpose in bringing glory to the Father was made uh, right here in the passage that we just heard. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Today's text is John chapter 12. And what I would like to do is to take us into Jesus' final week before the crucifixion and observe what he was facing, some of the conversations and the teaching that took place. The Gospel of John does not spend much time with what happened between the triumphal entry and uh, the cross, or even uh, the Last Supper. Matthew devotes five whole chapters to that, but John only one. The one thing to pay attention to is the difference in response between believing people and unbelieving people. In one sense, this passage stands as a caution, a warning sign near the end of the road, a road that doesn't end on level prairie, but ends at the edge of the bottomless pit. It's a warning. So let's review a little bit of what happened before Jesus got to Jerusalem. I always like to give a bit of background to how we got where we are. When Jesus announced to his disciples that Lazarus had died, uh, they were, according to John 10.40, across the Jordan on the east side of the river, where John had been baptizing at first. So if you you know where Jericho is, do you know where Jericho is? It's It's at the north end of the Red Sea. Not on the sea, but a little bit further north. And the Jordan is just a little bit past that. And so that's, uh, that's where Jesus was. He was past Jericho, past the Jordan, on the other side there. <clears throat> you may recall that when Jesus, um, that Jesus and his disciples also stayed there an additional two days after he told his disciples that he had died. And if you remember what Martha said when Jesus showed up, and he wanted to open the tomb, she said, he's been in there four days. So it was roughly a two-day journey from where they were to go to Bethany, where Lazarus had died and was buried. That's about 32 miles. And not all of it is level ground. In fact, probably almost none. The elevation at uh, Jericho is about 800 feet below sea level, Winnipeg is 800 above. Jericho is 800 feet below. And to get to the top, uh, or get to the mountain where Jerusalem is sitting, 
It's about a 3,300-foot rise, so it's a good walk all the way. And if you need a little perspective, how many of you have been to Banff? And, have, and, and you know where the gondola is and where it goes up to the mountain there? That rise is about 2,300 feet. So if you add another 1,000 feet to that, that is, <laughs> that's what they had to climb. Anyway, just so you know a little bit of background there. Along the way, Jesus and his disciples went through Jericho. And that is where Jesus saw the blind man on the side of the road and he healed him. That's also where Jesus met Zacchaeus and went into his house. So these things are occurring on their way to Bethany, where he met Mary and Martha, whose brother had died. And then Jesus raised him from the dead. What was the response of the crowd that witnessed it? Well, it was pretty typical. There were those who became believers, and there were those who went and reported what they saw to the Pharisees. This news made the chief priests and the Pharisees uneasy, and they decided to make plans to put Jesus to death. Because, in their words, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. That was their reason to kill him. And after that, Jesus did not move about openly in, among the Jews, but he went to a place called Ephraim and stayed in that area. I'm not sure how long uh, it was, from the raising of Lazarus to the Passover. But six days before the Passover, Jesus was back in Bethany for a feast in his honor, and Lazarus was there with him. Now, when there, a large, large crowd of Jews heard that Jesus was there, they went out to see him. And not only him, but they also wanted to see Lazarus, because they'd heard. And because of the testimony of, uh, that Lazarus had been raised from the dead, many more became believers and followers of Jesus. <clears throat> the chief priests caught wind of this and made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. <laughs> Amazing how darkness works. So you can see the tensions that were mounting in Jerusalem just because Jesus was there and the effect that his presence had on the situation. Well, the next day, a large crowd that had been at the feast heard that Jesus was coming to town, to Jerusalem. And they went out to meet him, waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So Jesus got himself a young donkey and rode it into Jerusalem and fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah 9, verse 9. The crowds continued to witness of the great work Jesus had done in raising Lazarus from the dead, and this further agitated the Pharisees. And it's kind of interesting to me that as Jesus was preparing to go to the cross and to suffer, that it also seems he was helping it along so that it would happen at the right time. Now, as I said earlier, there's not much in John's gospel about that last week. But here in John chapter 12, we have bits of conversation and a little little bit of narrative by John, and then uh, Jesus laying out the consequences of belief and unbelief. And that's what we want to dig into a little bit here this morning. So I'll read, if you have your Bibles... uh, I'm going to read from John chapter 12 at verse 20. 
read seven verses there. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. First thing that's struck me about these verses is this. How does this answer that Jesus just gave answer the request to see him? It's as though Jesus was concentrating on his own thoughts and, and really not answering the question at all. That was my initial impression. But if you take time to think about difficult things and ask for understanding, the Holy Spirit teaches you. You could take Jesus' answer to mean, I don't have time to meet new people. I have more important things to do. After all, Jesus had spent a lot of time with the crowds that wanted to see miracles and not really commit themselves to faith. But there's more. The opening line of his answer was, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. As you read through the following verses, you get the sense that Jesus is actually describing how he will be glorified. It is because of his death and self-sacrifice that the Father will glorify the Son of Man. One thing we could say about Jesus' response is that for all his popularity, he was not deterred uh, from the work that was before him. He, He wasn't responding to you know, in the way we might respond, if all of a sudden you become popular, you go, oh, wow, this is kind of nice. <laughs> you enjoy the attention. Jesus wasn't distracted by that. He knew what he was up against, and he knew the cost. So perhaps Jesus was saying, if you want to spend time with me, you need to commit. You need to be ready to lose your life to serve me and to follow me. And it was even more than that. It was an invitation to a fruitful life. If we want to preserve our lives for ourselves, then that is all the life we get. And when we die, there's no more life. But if we hate our life in this world, we will keep it for eternity. It reminds me of a Jim Elliott quote that we have hanging on our fridge. It says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I like that quote. But just to clarify a little bit, we should probably take a moment to understand what is meant here by hate. Scripture uses the word hate in a way that we don't usually use it. 
Hate is one way of indicating what one does not choose or what you choose against. And similarly, love is used to indicate what we do choose. So, in, for example, in Romans chapter 9, we find a quote from Malachi that says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Is it just because God hates Esau? The focus of the discussion in Romans chapter 9 is God's purpose of election. In other words, God chooses through whom he will do his work and accomplish his purposes. God chose to work through Jacob and not through Esau. So when Jesus said, whoever loses his life, sorry, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life, he's talking about our choices. Do we choose to cling to our earthly life, which runs like water through our fingers? Or do we choose eternal life, which is guaranteed by the creator of those who, uh, for those who believe? Jesus' response to the Greeks who wanted to see him seems to be an invitation to follow. Don't just be a fan who sits in the stands and cheers when you see a miracle. Be a follower. Be the seed that falls into the ground and dies and bears much fruit. Choose eternal life and serve him. God will honor those who do. In the passage that Esther Ann read for us this morning, Jesus spoke of purpose. After he gave his answer to Andrew and Philip, Jesus opened up and revealed his inner struggle. He said, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. I wonder if this wasn't said so that we would know his struggle was human. I looked up the meaning of the Greek word translated troubled, and it means restless, agitated, having inward commotion. So why was Jesus troubled? He knew why he had come. He knew what was in store for him. He's God, so why was he troubled? I suggest to you that he was troubled because he was human. Big moments in our lives usually cause us some fear and trepidation. We tend to pull away from these moments, or at least we hesitate before we proceed. The human mind and body possess an innate sense of fight or flight. And we, we have the advantage, probably, of not knowing what we're in for. Jesus knew exactly what was waiting for him. You and I do not know what is in store for us. How many, how many of us would want to know at 20 what was going to happen in our lives for the next 60 years? <laughs> for most of us, probably all of us, that would be too much. Jesus knew, as we discovered last time and what we read in Luke 18. Jesus said, We are going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. And so Jesus might have been thinking about scriptures like Psalm 22 that begins, 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or Isaiah 52 that says, His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. Or Isaiah 53 where it says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Jesus knew that these scriptures were about him. So back to that Luke 18 passage, Jesus continued and he said, For, we, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day he will rise. Jesus knew all these things were about him and were about to happen. As a human being, how would one's soul not be troubled? So Jesus admitted his inner turmoil, but at the same time, he declared that this was his reason for coming. And then he said, Father, glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, I will glorify it again. And the crowd that heard it reacted to the thundering voice, and then Jesus replied to them saying, This voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Jesus spoke to the Father, and the Father, uh, the Father answered him, and it demonstrated Jesus' authority to make the next statement. Because he spoke as though the resurrection was as good as done. Jesus knew what he and the Father had planned, and there he declared judgment on the earth and proclaimed the basis of salvation because of what he was about to do. Verse 31. Now this is the judgment, sorry, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This is the kind of it is done statement that we find in Revelation when the plan is being wrapped up. But here, before the crucifixion, Jesus is making bold victory statements. Why? Because he and the Father knew that it was as good as done. The human Jesus had turmoil within him, but the divine Jesus knew what was about to happen. And the Father and the Son, together, were committed to carrying it out. To redeem lost souls and to cast the devil out of this world. So as a human, the next few days were going to be unbearable. But as God, this was victory in the making. Jesus was getting ready to return to the Father's side with all glory, dominion, power, and authority. Restored to him as it was before the foundations of the world. Now the people that Jesus spoke to in that crowd... We're not catching on. At verse 34, it says this. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, 
the light among the light is among you for a little while longer walk while you have the light lest darkness overtake you the one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going while you have the light believe in the light that you may become sons of light it's a sad thing to observe when people hear the truth but are unable to perceive it. Yeah, Jesus spoke here to them as in a parable. But as he explained once before, there is a purpose in speaking in parables. When Jesus and his disciples asked Jesus why he spoke in parables, he said to them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For the one who has more will be given and he will have an abundance but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away this is why i speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear nor do they understand words like that usually make us a little bit concerned because we don't quite know how to interpret them and it tells me that God is aware of those who will respond in faith and those who will not. Speaking in parables helps the believer believe and it leaves the believer in the dark. The following seven verses uh, are the Apostle John's uh, explanation, his voice, and he's explaining this thing a little bit further. So let me read at verse 37. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. So this scenario that is playing out right in front of Jesus was long foretold. But this is how God operates. If you talk spiritual truth plainly to a group of people, uh, usually the unbelievers end up scoffing. Presenting spiritual truth through parables allows the truth to sit a little longer with those who are willing to think about it. I can't remember who said it, but I remember a preacher once saying that most people need to hear the gospel about ten times before they're willing to believe. And parables allow that to happen. Speaking spiritual truth plainly through parables Sorry, speaking the spiritual truth plainly or through parables has the same effect on those who will not believe. This is what Jesus was doing when he answered their questions. How can you say that the Son of Man be lifted up and who is the Son of Man? So Jesus answered them 
parabolically, we could say. And then we come to verse 30, uh, verse, sorry, verse 42. And there it says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. I again take this as a warning, this, not to those who cannot see, but to those who can. On one hand, it's exciting to read that many of the authorities believed in Jesus, but on the other hand, it's sad that they were unwilling to confess it. I'm reminded of Romans 9, uh, sorry, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For So listen to this. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The Pharisees that believed were missing that important piece. It seems a precarious place to be to say that you believe uh, to yourself, but not confess it to others. That is why baptism is such an important part of our faith. Unbelief is everywhere. Therefore, the one who believes must confess it publicly so that he and everyone else knows that he believes God. In the last portion of this chapter, before Jesus goes to the Last Supper and the crucifixion, we hear Jesus make a statement concerning our choices about him. I'll just read at verse, 40, <clears throat> verse 44 to the end of the chapter. Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is the same message that God has been declaring to all the world throughout the scriptures. To Adam, God said, You may surely eat of the tree, of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. In other words, don't choose death, choose life. In Deuteronomy, when Uh, Moses was confirming the covenant with Israel and exhorting them to commit themselves with a whole heart. He said, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. 
And on his way to the cross, Jesus said that he came to save the world. That the command of God is eternal life. Just as Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, so is his message to mankind. Choose life. On his way to the cross, Jesus encountered increasing opposition. But he went to the cross undeterred, continuing to present the gospel and determined to drive that last nail in the coffin of the powers of darkness with the knowledge that his victory was certain and he would fulfill all that was prophesied about him. We saw in the account account of Lazarus being raised from the dead that some people believed and others did not. When those Greeks at the feast wanted to see Jesus, he invited them not to be fans, but to be followers and give up their lives to have eternal life. When Jesus said, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself, he indicated what it meant to choose life. To choose life is not to try and preserve it. To choose life is to let your life die in the service of Jesus and others. To keep my life for myself is to remain alone like the seed that is not planted. But what Jesus requires of us in choosing life is something that he has already done. He has gone ahead of us in laying down his life so that he might bear much fruit. And the fruit of Jesus' death is that all who likewise choose life have it with him for eternity. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, thank you for calling us to choose life. Thank you that that life is in your Son, Jesus Christ. And thank you for the knowledge that though it is a difficult choice and a challenging life, it is the only choice. Thank you, Father, for forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life. We pray it in the name of your Son. Amen. Our last hymn is found in your bulletins as an entry. It's called At Calvary. We will sing, actually let's stand to sing, and then um, Mr. Einbrecht will lead us in prayer and dismiss us.
you receive this benediction and this blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace. Have a really good day.